I'm going to read the Bible for us now, Acts 18. So if you want to jump there. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Archaea, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law... Settle the matter for yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Gallia showed no concern, whatever. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sancreia because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, they, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I'll come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set, set out from there and travelled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man was a, with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervour and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, when, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Archaea, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who, by grace, had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Hi, everyone. So it looks like uh, every kid in church is now on Team Giselle. 
And every adult in church is on Team Ben. And look, there are more people voting for Giselle. So if you've got a dog that's really badly behaved, that's flatulent, that leaves a mess around the house, you might want to drop it around to Ben and Giselle's house this afternoon. Uh, now, it's been a few weeks uh, since you've seen me. I've been doing other things around church. And last week, I got to speak at a church that's back. They're actually back meeting physically. And I, there were two things that I learned from that experience. One is that it was actually pretty easy for them to do the whole safety thing, the cleaning and getting people outside. It's, it's not actually that tricky. But I tell you, the second thing I learned was just how good it is to be back. <laughs> how fantastic it is to see people face to face. I think over the months, it's easy to, to forget just how good the conversations before church and after church, just how good it is to be gathered. Look, we're, we're trying to figure out how we can get back as quickly as possible. And you're going to keep hearing from us, hopefully fairly soon, some plans that we've got. But as soon as we're back, make the effort. Make sure that you come back because I, I tell you, last week just reminded me how good it is. Now, the other thing I wanted to do quickly is give you a brief update on where we are in our search for a building. If you're, um, if you're not part of our church, we've been looking for a building now for about three years, and it's been a little bit of a slog, but recently we found a building that, um, that we're actually interested in. We think it's worth pursuing. And look, it's not officially on the open market, uh, this building. We found out through contacts, and the sellers are very private. That's why we haven't been able to tell you exactly where it is. The, the sellers are fairly private. But a few weeks back, we made what we think was a good, strong opening offer. It was based on independent advice from a valuer. It was a good, strong opening offer. Unfortunately, the owners didn't accept the offer and they've actually decided that it would be a good idea to show the building to one or two other people, to get a sense from other people about what they think it's worth. Now look, that doesn't mean that we can't buy it. We, you know, we're still interested in it. It just means that we're in the mix with some other people now. And it means that the, the whole negotiation process might take a couple of months. It might take a few months instead of a couple of weeks. And look, at one level, you might be thinking, well, that's, that's not exactly the scenario we would have chosen. I mean, it would have been great, wouldn't it, if we could have wrapped everything up really quickly at a bargain price, have the whole thing done. And sure, yeah, we might have preferred that. But is it a setback? Should we be discouraged? Well, no, no, we shouldn't be discouraged because we know our God's in control. God's in church, God, uh, God's in, in charge, and God loves his church, and God loves Jesus and his gospel. And so even if something does look like a setback, God will do whatever he chooses to do for the sake of Jesus' church and to see the gospel go out. So keep praying. Just keep praying, and, and God will, will do what's best for Jesus and for us. And, you know, this is actually one of the big themes in our passage today. In Acts 18, what we see is a bunch of setbacks to the gospel cause. And as you read them, you'll be tempted to get really depressed about them. But each time, what we see is God turning the situation to advance the gospel. Instead of setbacks, they become steps forward. But before we start looking at those setbacks... We need to grapple with what the big theme of Acts chapter 18 is. Because I don't know about you, but when I first read it, it kind of just, it was, it was a bit hard to get a handle on. 
kind of just looks like a, a bunch of random events. Paul preaches in Corinth and the Jews have a go at him, so he moves next door and the Jews have another go at him. And then he just seems to travel all over the place. And then we bump into this new guy, Apollos, and it kind of seems like a bunch of random disconnected events. But actually the big theme of Acts chapter 18 is Jesus' message being preached to people who don't believe yet. It's the big theme is people hearing about Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, make sure you don't rely on just the passages being on the screen. Make sure you've got a Bible. If you've got a Bible there, just run your eye down the passage with me and notice all the times the gospel is spoken to people who don't believe yet. So Acts 18 verse 4. Every Sabbath, Paul reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade the Jews and Greeks. Acts 18 verse 5. Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Verse 6. Paul says, from now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. Verse 8. Many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. 9 to 11. Don't be afraid, says Jesus. Keep on speaking and don't be silent, for I'm with you. And no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Verse 19, they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Verse 25, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. Verse 28, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. See, Acts 18 may look like just a bunch of disconnected events, but the underlying theme of this whole passage is Jesus' message being preached, especially to people who don't believe yet. Evangelism is one word for it, or mission is the word that we tend to use it around our church. Because when you think about it, that's actually the big theme of the book of Acts, isn't it? Giselle read for us Acts, 8, uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 earlier. Acts 1 verse 8 is the agenda setting verse for the whole book of Acts where Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what Acts is all about. Acts is all about Jesus' message going from the epicenter in Jerusalem out to Judea and Samaria and then to the very ends of the earth. That's what Acts is about. In fact, really, look, that's what all of life's about now, isn't it? Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Why is Jesus still sitting at God's right hand in heaven where he ascended in Acts chapter 1? Because the gospel is still going out. There are still people to talk to about Jesus. And Jesus is holding back his judgment. He's holding back judgment day so that more people can hear and more people can be saved. That's what life's about now. And that's why it's such a big passion for our church to tell people about Jesus. We are just so desperate for everyone in Newey and Lake Mac to hear about Jesus. We want them to hear this fantastic news that Jesus rose and that Jesus died for them. And look, that doesn't mean that we don't care about being a loving church or a church that matures people. Of course, we care about being a loving church and a maturing church. Jesus cares about those things. That's why we care about them. I was talking to a, a couple who were very dear to me this week, and they were telling me that in the last few years, they've had some really hard experiences in church. 
experiences where people weren't as loving. I tell you, it broke my heart because church ought to be loving, shouldn't it? Our God is a loving God. Church should be loving and it should help us grow. But when you think about it, isn't that also what you want for your friends who aren't Christian? Don't you want them to be part of a loving church too? The world out there can be a pretty broken and lonely place. And this side of heaven, being part of a loving church, is actually one of the things we'd want most for our friends who aren't Christian. Being a loving church and being a church that tells people about Jesus, they're not opposed to each other. No, we want people to be saved into a loving church and we want to be so loving as a church that we'll even tell people about Jesus. And so Acts chapter 18 is the same as the rest of the book of Acts. It's all about this big theme of Jesus going from Jerusalem to the very ends of the world, people hearing about Jesus. But look, while we're here, just as an aside, something that I think is just really cool about Acts chapter 18 is the words that Luke uses for telling people about Jesus. See, Paul doesn't just shout the gospel at people. He reasons and he explains and he persuades. So Acts 18 verse 4, every Sabbath, Paul reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. And verse 11, so Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Verse 19, they arrived in Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Verse 28, Apollos vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. See all those different words for telling people about Jesus? That's so important because you see, we can, we can have an almost magical view about telling people about Jesus. As long as I get the words out, the magic words out, Jesus died for you, that's all that mattered. Cram those words in and somehow the magical Holy Spirit will use those magical words and people will become Christians. That's not how people become Christians. No, God gave us brains and God wants us to use those brains. He wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, strength and mind. And so a big part of people becoming Christians is explaining to them and reasoning and persuading, even refuting and saying, no, 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 that's not right. And it's not that those things are opposed to the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit uses those things to bring people to faith. He uses our thinking. He uses our reasoning and our explaining and persuading. The Holy Spirit uses our brains. That's why we run the life course the way we do. Yeah, every week at Life, there's a clear gospel and explanation from the front where the truth is laid out. But then there's this great table discussion where people get to ask their questions and put their objections and they get to disagree and wrestle with things because that is how the Holy Spirit brings people to faith. Becoming a Christian is not just this magical zap by the Holy Spirit using magical words. It's God using the brains he's given us and the Holy Spirit is in all of that as he changes our minds. I love all the different words that Luke uses for explaining the gospel here. So anyway, the big theme of Acts chapter 18 is people hearing about Jesus, being persuaded, being reasoned with, the, the message going out to people who don't believe yet. But as that happens, Luke helps us to see two great truths. Two great truths about how the message goes out to the world. 
That's what we're going to see in the rest of this talk. Two great truths about how the gospel goes out. And the first great truth is where we started. God uses setbacks to be steps forward. Because three times in Acts chapter 18, we see things that really look like setbacks. They're bad news. But each time, they become a step forward for the gospel. The first one is verse 1. Have a look in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see him, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogues, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, at first, that really does look like bad news for the gospel, doesn't it? The emperor Claudius has ordered all of the Jews out of Rome. Now, that happened in January of 49 AD. The emperor Claudius sent all the Jews packing from Rome. And you might think, well, why is that bad news for the Christians? I mean, after all, it was the Jews who got expelled, not the Christians. Well, it's bad news for two reasons. One, Christians were still seen as Jews. We're used to thinking of Christians and Jews as being different. But back then, Christians were part of a Jewish sect. And it's never good to have the emperor hating you. But that's what happened. What's worse, though, is why? Claudius sent the Jews packing. It was because the Jews had been rioting about Jesus. So there's a, a historian named Suetonius, and he wrote about 70 years later, and he said, as the Jews were indulging in constant riots at the instigation of Crestus or Christ, Claudius banished them from Rome. You see, the Jews were actually rioting about Jesus. The Jews were so against Christianity, they were causing riots and fights and Claudius got fed up with them and threw all of them out of Rome. Now that's terrible news for Christians, isn't it? When you become such a stink that the emperor hates you enough to get rid of you, that's a massive setback for the gospel. Or is it? Because what does God do with this setback? Well, he uses it to send Priscilla and Aquila from Rome to Corinth. And there they meet Paul. And they become friends and start going into business, making tents together. And that means that Paul can preach the gospel to the Corinthians. See verse 3, Paul stayed and worked with them every Sabbath. He reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. You see, Jesus turns the setback of the being booted out of Rome into a step forward of partnership for the gospel. It's the same again with the persecution in verse 5. Have a look in verse 5. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. So Paul starts off like he normally did, preaching in the synagogue to the Jews. But the Jews oppose him like they often have, and they become abusive. And we've seen that happen again and again in the book of Acts, haven't we? And look, we've also seen how it can end up. 
it often ends up with Paul getting beaten up and Paul having been run out of town. And this is another setback, isn't it? This Jewish opposition. No, look in verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. See, how great is that? The Jews become abusive. So Paul goes right next door into the house of a Gentile. And loads of Corinthians believe and get baptized. In fact, even the synagogue ruler, even the leader of those opposing Jesus becomes a Christian, him and his entire household. See, that's not a setback. Paul, Jesus uses that Jewish opposition to make a huge leap forward for the gospel. Loads of people become Christians. Same thing happens again in verse 17. Take a look in verse 17. When Gallio was proconsul in Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of justice, of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Now again, that could be a huge setback for the gospel, couldn't it? The proconsul is the most powerful man in Corinth. He represents Rome. He was like Pontius Pilate was in Jerusalem. And we saw what Pontius Pilate could do. That is, if Gallio decides that the Christians are troublemakers, he can get rid of them. What a setback. Except look what happens next. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if you Jews are making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, It'd be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I won't be the judge of such things. And so he drove them off. And then the crowd turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatever. How incredible is that? Gallio says, Christianity is none of my concern." settle it yourself effectively he, he gives the christians free reign they can get on with preaching the gospel and the jews can't touch them it's kind of hard to know what to think of poor old sosthenes there isn't it he's the synagogue leader who gets bashed after the meeting and look we don't even really know why he got bashed did the jews beat him up because he failed did the corinthians bash him up because he was causing trouble we don't know you know what is lovely though when Paul writes to the Corinthian church two years later, he starts his letter with, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Now look, we can't be certain he's the same bloke, but he probably was. Even Sosthenes starts off getting beaten up and actually leads him to become a Christian. I tell you, there's an evangelistic strategy, isn't it? We could use this, go around beating people up in the hope that they're going to become Christians. It worked once, maybe it'll work again. <laughs> but do you see what happens here? Three huge setbacks for the gospel. And every time Jesus uses it as this great leap forward for the gospel. And you might think, well, is it really Jesus doing this? I mean, could it all just be a coincidence? Could it all just be good luck? It's good luck 
that Priscilla and Aquila left Rome and they're having to bump into Paul. It, it's just good luck that there's a building that Paul can go to. Now Luke shows us that it's not just good luck, it's Jesus. Take a look in verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you and no one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. See, this has got nothing to do with luck or coincidence. It's Jesus. Jesus is with Paul. Jesus is sending Paul. And Jesus wants his message preached in Corinth. And so Jesus is the one turning every setback into a step forward. And look, that's as true today as it was 2,000 years ago, isn't it? We don't need to worry when we see things that look like they might be setbacks. So other people are looking at a building. That's okay. If Jesus wants us to get that building, no force on earth is going to stop it. And if Jesus doesn't want us to have that building, no strategy of ours is going to achieve it, is it? Jesus is the one in charge. Every single time the last three years, we've looked at stacks of building in the last three years, every single time, One's fallen through. Someone on the building committee has said, well, look, if that building is not the one, imagine how great the building that Jesus has for us is. Same with COVID, isn't it? What a setback COVID's been. In March, we we're all thinking, oh, this is a tragedy. How are we going to tell people about Jesus? How are we going to gather people? We can't do church. We're all stuck at home. And then life goes online and we're able to tell people about Jesus that we were never able to reach before. People in country towns all across Australia, people overseas. COVID hasn't been a setback. Jesus has used COVID to bring loads of people to himself. So we've lost our venues. Or imagine, imagine if the government was to ban Christianity. Whatever setback you could possibly imagine. Sure, it'd be painful. I mean, it can't have been easy for Priscilla and Aquila to be chucked out of Rome. And I imagine that Paul had some scary moments there in Corinth. But Jesus has got it covered. Jesus loves his church. Jesus wants the gospel to go out. So whatever happens, whatever appears to be a setback, Jesus has got it covered. Just pray to him. Ask him to look after us and ask him to preach the gospel. And it, look, it's not just true as a church, it's true personally, isn't it? Sometimes we will all go through incredibly difficult moments in life that appear to be huge setbacks and yet they can be terribly painful. And we can feel like we'll never recover. But what we saw in James was that even those painful events is Jesus taking us forward. Remember James 1? He talked about counting it as all joy when we go through times of suffering because Jesus is using it to mature us, to build our character, to humble us and to teach us. That's the first big thing that Acts chapter 18 shows us, that as Jesus sends the gospel out, he turns setbacks into steps forward. The next one's much quicker. The second big thing we see about the gospel going out is that it goes by people investing in people who invest in people. Do you notice that beautiful little dynamic in Acts chapter 18? Priscilla and Aquila get chucked out of Rome and then they meet up with Paul. 
and Paul spends time with them and they go into business together and then they preach the gospel together. And then Paul leaves and the camera stays on Priscilla and Aquila because they then meet a young bloke named Apollos. Look down in verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him into their home and explained the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, isn't that a beautiful dynamic? It's actually how the gospel grows. Paul loves, trains up Priscilla and Aquila, and they come across Apollos. And they invite him into their lives and into their home. And they teach him and they encourage him and they train him. And then Apollos goes off. And he does the same thing in Achaia in verse 27. That's how the gospel grows. Through Christians investing in the lives of other Christians. Who will then invest in the lives of other Christians. Look, as a church, we're really passionate about this. That's why we're constantly training up new leaders right across our church from growth group leaders to youth leaders to rush leaders it's why we're so passionate about this thing mts mts is this two-year apprenticeship that people do with us before they head off to bible college and into full-time ministry and it's about investing in their lives and growing them as christians and then sending them out it's about raising up the next generation but actually it's what we do not just as a church organization It's the kind of people we want to be, isn't it? See, all through my life, I've just been incredibly blessed by people who've loved me and shown me Jesus and poured time and love into me. From the family who welcomed me into their home and and taught me about Jesus when when I wasn't a Christian. To the couple who first did Bible study with me when I was in year 12 and the first year after school. And then when I went off to uni, the MTSs who read the Bible with me faithfully week after week, and then my MTS trainer poured his his life into me, loved me, teaching me. That is, so many people in my life have been my Priscilla and Aquila. It's actually how the gospel grows. And you know, this is actually something that any Christian can do. You don't have to be a pastor. Most of the people who've loved me in my Christian life haven't been pastors. You just have to be ready and willing. You just have to be on the lookout for someone who could do with time being spent with them. And then you become their friend or you become their their surrogate mum or dad or brother or sister or you certainly don't actually have to be married to do it. But you know, I do love the way Priscilla and Aquila do this together. They invited Polis into their home and they fed him and they taught him how to be a Christian And Apollos was so incredibly blessed by that. Families can do that. Invite younger people into your home. If you don't know where to start, start by having your kids' church leaders or your youth leaders, the youth leaders who look after your kids, start by having them around. 
Invite them into your home. Build a friendship. You don't have to have your act together to do this, by the way. You don't have to have the perfect Christian life. You don't have to have the perfect house and the perfect kids. Lord knows that we don't. If you wait for that, you'll never actually do it. Just invite other people into the mess of your life and show them what it means to, to stumble along to follow Jesus. Love them. Show what it means to follow Jesus sincerely. Talk to them about Jesus. Pray with them. You can do this at whatever age or stage of life you're at. You can do it as a 16-year-old with a 14-year-old. You can do it as a 70-year-old with a 50-year-old. You can do it as a single person. It's just the mindset of looking for someone that you can make friends with and love and help them to grow as a Christian. Now, we try and do it as a church. We try and do it with things like MTS. We encourage people to do one-to-one with each other. We train people. But I tell you, nothing beats just having an older Christian loving and spending time with a younger Christian, either as a family or as an individual. Because you know the challenge to this? You know the challenge is most people think, well, who's going to do that with me? Who's, who's going to pour time into it? That's something that I could do with someone doing it with me. Don't start there. Don't start with who's going to look after you. Start with who you're going to look after, who you're going to pray with. Ask God to bring someone like that into your life because that's how the gospel grows, through people loving and investing in people who then love and invest in people. It's been happening for 2,000 years now. Isn't Jesus fantastic in this passage? He turns huge setbacks into giant leaps forward. And he uses ordinary, frail people to do it, to change lives that then go on to change the world. I'm going to pray to Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, you're fantastic. We praise you that you're in control over the hearts of Gallio, over the hearts of the Jews, that you can turn the setback of being booted out of Rome and booted out of a synagogue and brought to court. You turn all those things into the preaching of the gospel. And yet you also use really frail human beings whose lives are a mess, who are just ordinary people. We praise you that you used Paul to change the life of Priscilla and Aquila and then they changed the life of Apollos and then he went off. And We thank you you've been doing that for 2,000 years. We pray that you'll do it with us as well. We pray that you'll use the ordinary people of our church to look out for and build friendships with people that we can just get alongside. And we pray that through this, these really ordinary activities of having a meal together, sitting on the front porch, talking about life and talking about Jesus and praying. That's how you change the world, Father. We pray that you'll do it through us. Amen.